You are listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Every suicide means heartache for family, friends, and community. But detecting the warning signs before a suicide and taking effective actions to prevent a suicide are not always easy. One program that is attempting to find and help college students who are considered high risk for suicide attempt is the College Screening Project, a web-based outreach program. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Atlanta, Georgia, is psychiatrist Stephen Garlow. Welcome, Dr. Garlow. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Garlow, in your recent article published in the Journal of American College Health, you and your colleagues studied an interactive web-based method of outreach to college students at risk for suicide. Tell us about the College Screening Project. Yeah, this was a novel program developed by American Foundation for Suicide Prevention in conjunction with a number of psychiatrists with the goal of reaching out to college students to identify students at risk for depression and for suicide and to encourage them to come into treatment. And what we utilized was a technology, a method of communication that is very comfortable to modern college students, and that was email and web-based interaction. So how this system worked is all the students, all the undergraduates would receive an email inviting them to participate in this program. Ask The tagline would ask, are you depressed? And then it would explain what was the method and explain the details. They could go to a secure website, set up their own account, essentially, and complete a screening questionnaire that included symptoms of depression, suicidal ideation, strong emotional states, things like that, that was then transmitted kind of in a secure way, anonymously, which I think the anonymity is one of the key elements in this, anonymously to a therapist who would then do a review and communicate the results back to the students. So it was more than just a simple online survey where they'd get some kind of score and there was a human element there. The difference between this and other types of computerized assessment tools is that this involved every case was reviewed by a therapist, by a trained therapist who reviewed the scores from the questionnaire and the responses and had a message specifically targeted to each individual. And the other unique aspect of this system is that there was an anonymous dialogue feature that the student could then communicate back to the therapist anonymously and that there was a live interaction It's different than filling out a a form and a computer telling you, it looks like you're depressed, you should seek treatment or something like that. I mean, there was a real live interaction between the students and the therapist. And what did you find? We found that, well, 8% of the students participated, responded, and surprisingly enough of these students, there was a very high degree of untreated depression. 16% of them had made a previous suicide attempt. About 8% were currently suicidal, expressed current suicidal ideation. We found a number of relationships, some of which were obvious, so that the more severely depressed a person was, the more likely they were to have suicidal ideation. But the other thing we found was that there was an association between these strong emotional states, a sense of desperation in particular, a sense of question was, do you feel out of control or desperate, anxious or stressed, angry, all of these types of strong emotional states related to but not exactly depression, they all also... Uh, were highly associated with students who were having the most significant suicidal ideation. Tell us about the diagnoses that the students did meet criteria for. Depression, major depressive disorder, was the main one, and versions of depression. Without having clinical diagnostic interviews, it's hard to give exact diagnoses for many of these students, but certainly the PHQ-9, which was the central element in the questionnaire, 
a score of 15 and above has a high likelihood of diagnosing depression. That's how this question was initially developed. And so those students most likely met a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. And major depressive disorder is a pretty serious condition to walk around untreated. Correct. And of those students who had the most severe depression, 85% were not in any form of treatment whatsoever. The other remarkable thing about this was that these students were suffering in silence. These students were suffering alone. And you can read this in some of the dialogues that they thought that this was just unique to them or that there wasn't any help or there wasn't any way of understanding this. They were or are very reluctant to seek out treatment, to come in for treatment, to admit that they are in pain, to admit that they are suffering. The most important part of this method of this way of reaching out to students is it takes away the onus of coming in for some kind of face-to-face meeting, at least initially, and saying something that may be embarrassing or may be painful to say to some other person. By doing it through the computer, that anonymity, I think, in some ways freed these students to be more open and honest and more forthright with the clinician. Were these numbers and the severity of symptoms a surprise to the researchers? Yeah, they were definitely a surprise to us. The severity, the frequency of previous suicide attempts, the frequency of current suicide ideation, the severity of the depression, the untreated depression, all of these things were certainly surprising to me and my discussions with the research team. It's been very sobering. It's been very humbling to think that there's this degree of pain and suffering, and we're just barely now figuring out ways to reach out to these students and bring them into treatment. Yes, it also must be validating that what you're trying to do is obviously uh, worthwhile. And there's some other research that says that the most at-risk students are the ones that feel socially isolated, that are less likely to come into treatment. And so through this computer message that comes to them where they are, it overcomes that that social the embarrassment, the social awkwardness, the social stigma, the social inhibition to come in for treatment by coming through this communication method that college students now probably universally utilize email and text messaging and web messaging and things like that. It's a way of overcoming social isolation and getting at those most in need. It's not necessarily as though they were waiting, though, for someone to ask. A lot of these students reported significant depression but denied that it was interfering with their day-to-day functioning, and that has to be surprising. That's surprising, but that's, you know, the invincibility of youth. And in some of the dialogues and some of the interactions, they'd say, well, this is just normal, right? It would be some quote like that. And people, until it's pointed out, until it's explained to many people that how they're feeling isn't normal, and it's not okay to feel this way. You don't have to feel this way. People will ascribe it to, well, I'm under a lot of stress because of work or because of I have to work and go to school. My classes are very hard. I'm pre-med, I'm pre-law, and I have to do well, and uh, my parents have all these expectations. So people will ascribe how they're feeling to some external cause when, in fact, it's really internal to them. And so, But because they've done that, because they said, well, I'm under all this pressure because of my classes, they tolerate how they're feeling because, well, that's just how everybody feels in this circumstance. And that's one of the things with this communication, the therapist can actually let that student know, no, this is not the way you should feel. You don't have to feel this way. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin. My guest is psychiatrist Stephen Garlow, and we are discussing the assessment of suicide risk in college students. Dr. Garlow, So when these students have normalized these feelings and dismiss them and they're not seeking treatment, if they do go for a checkup or find themselves in the company of a physician, this makes it very difficult for the physician to try to make an assessment, doesn't it? Right. And this is where we have to be available, open, 
and forthright in asking students about this, asking young people about this, ask about depression, ask how they're feeling, and be willing then to deal with what the answer is. We have to be prepared for that. But if we don't ask people about it, if we don't ask students about it, if a student comes in for something that might seem minor, it's worth asking a sleep disturbance, a headache, a chronic headache, something like that. It's absolutely in their interest to ask them about depression, ask explicitly about signs of depression, ask explicitly about suicide risk, ask explicitly, have you been thinking about killing yourself? If we don't ask these questions explicitly, if we're not comfortable as physicians asking these questions, we'll never get the information from our patients. And if we're forthright about it, it makes it easier then for our patients, for our students to be forthright back with us. And back to the study, what kind of response was given to the students who were medium to high risk for suicide and did not participate in evaluation and treatment? Repeated messages came from the study therapist through this anonymous email service encouraging them to come into treatment, trying to dialogue with them, trying to engage them one way or another. We had follow-up on some. Some actually had sought treatment elsewhere. Some had gotten better just in the process of interacting with the therapist online, some we never knew what actually happened with. That's the nature of this kind of study. But the therapist would send multiple messages, encouraging messages, to try to get that person into treatment. So were you saying that the online dialogue itself was therapeutic? There seemed to be, for some of these students, something in the interaction with a clinician, somebody who was listening to them, somebody who was paying attention to them, not just a computer, not just a computer questionnaire, but somebody on the other end who was responding to them and addressing their needs and responding to their concerns. And if one reads some of the dialogues, it's very clear there's something like a therapeutic process going on where there is relief of anxiety, where there is relief of stress, where there is some resolution on the part of the student. Let's talk about the sex differences that were found. More women participated and sought treatment, but males are at a much greater risk to die from suicide, aren't they? Yep, that is absolutely correct. And women are more likely to have depression. Women are more likely to seek treatment than men. This is one of the unmet needs. This is one of the discontinuities in this that we're trying to overcome, trying to find other ways of engaging the male students into getting into treatment. And so we've actually been considering different ways as we move forward with this method of changing the approach, changing the questions we ask to try to maybe move the language into a domain that would be more comfortable or more familiar to the male students that might help them come into treatment. Ultimately, coming into psychiatric treatment or not is, at least in part, about perception, about the perception of stigma, about individuals have an idea of what it means to see a psychiatrist. They have an idea of what it would mean to their career, what it would mean to their status and to school, what it would mean to their relationships with their friends and their family. And overcoming those kinds of issues, and that's one of the places where the dialogue feature, I think, had some impact was being able to address some of those issues. It's been thought that the suicide risk in males is in part due to the reluctance to seek treatment, to the reluctance to admit to being in pain, to admit to needing help. So that's one of the challenges to mental health practitioners in a college setting, but actually everywhere. This outreach program seems like a great idea. What does the future look like? Will it become a routine intervention on college campuses, do you think? Well, we're trying to develop it at AFSP, at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We're actually Moving it up to have it, we're going to sort of widen the the implementation to eight institutions, including a couple of medical schools coming up. We're sort of at at a tipping point to try to enlarge it and bring it to do, like you said, to try to make it more of a routine part of the mental health program at any school and expand it and generalize it to more institutions. That's my goal. That's where I think we need to take it. That being said, it's not the only solution. Any university needs to have 
a multi-layered, a multimodal approach to suicide prevention. There needs to be anti-stigma campaigns. There needs to be multiple avenues of outreach. There needs to be something like the college screening project that provides a door in through the email, internet-based process. That's going to get some students at risk. But there are other kinds of outreach methods, other kinds of anti-stigma campaigns that are going to contact and touch other students and bring other students into treatment. But it, it is definitely a part of a comprehensive suicide prevention program on a college campus. Well, it sounds very promising, and it's a very creative approach. I wish you luck with it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been psychiatrist Stephen Garlow of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Emory University School of Medicine. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Garlow. Thank you. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. 